Hello, my name is Lloyd and we're journeying through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5 and this is part 2 of a small series looking at a very difficult passage on Ananias and Sapphira who both died for trying to lie and deceive the early church, the early church leaders and God himself. So let's read it out. We looked last week at verses 1 to 5 of chapter 5, 1 to 6 and we look at 7 to 11 now looking at Sapphira, what happens to her? After an interval of about three hours, this all happens on the same day in a few hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So last week we saw Ananias, his lie and his deceit and how it was dealt with. Initially by probing questions by the Apostle Peter, then by the direct intervention of God himself as Ananias drops dead at the feet of Peter and he's buried straight away. And now for this second conspirator, Sapphira, Ananias's wife who had agreed to this devious scheme. She was part and parcel of it. And she, she appears unaware, it says in verse 7, and not knowing what had happened. Um, she doesn't know what had happened earlier, a few hours earlier. The key message from last week was, was um, it was not a, the, the amount that was the problem or important. It was that they were free to give as much as they wanted, as they felt led. Rather, it was the lies and the deceit that were layered on top and the hypocrisy of this couple, claiming one thing but actually living out something else. And it was the severity of the lying, not to men, but to God himself, that settles the case. And so now, Sapphira, how will she react? How will she respond? Will she repent? Will she stick to the same tune? Will she play the same string? Will she harp on the same as her dead husband who followed Satan in this operation? So... Yeah, after an, after an interval of three hours, his wife comes in not knowing what had happened. So Sapphira enters expecting her husband has done a very good job of deceit. He's lied really well. She's probably expecting applause and pat on the back, rapturous welcome. But it's going to be a little bit different, we'll see. So only three hours have passed. But she has missed her husband's funeral. You see what deceit does? It steals from us. This deceit and this, 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 these lies made her miss her husband's funeral. He missed hers as well. So they missed out on being a significant part of the early church. Their money and their gifts and all that were now just laid, they were laid aside, put on the shelf. That was it. They missed out on the money that they had both so coveted which will now probably all just go to the church anyway. So ignorance may be bliss 
So for, for her, she didn't know what was going on. She knew what was going on, but she didn't know what had just happened. But it's no protection. Ignorance is no protection from the consequences of sin. And so Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the money for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. So once again, we see Peter's gentle, just using questions to probe rather than statements of judgment. Um, giving her an opportunity to, to repent and to turn to Christ and to, um, to come back to the, to the church community just with honesty. She could have said at this point, listen, I've been deceitful and that would be the end of it. Instead of repenting, however, Sapphira repeats the deceit and wallows in the same mud, drinks from the same cup as Ananias had. She confirms her involvement in the crime of lying against God and his church. We must always allow space for this church discipline. This passage shows that church discipline is a real thing, but we must, it must be done gently as Peter's done, just asking questions, probing, hoping for the best outcome, always hoping for the best. And it's important people have a chance to tell their side of the story. So did you do this, Sapphira? Did you do this, Ananias? Peter allows them to respond. And we can often be harsher than God, or sometimes more merciful than God in the way we deal with people. And both, both sort of extremes can be damaging in, in church discipline. Generally, a public or an open sin that everyone knows about should probably be dealt as it presents publicly, whilst sins that are more hidden and secret should maybe may be dealt with in that, in that way as well. More, more secret, you know, just one-on-one. -on -one. And Jesus has shown a really good template, a way to deal with um, you know, thing, things that go wrong, uh, fallouts, dealing with sin amongst Christians, Matthew 18, which there's a couple of steps and stages that gently escalate and allow for repentance. Each stage welcoming repentance with the final step of huge severity, which, which is being put out of the church community with a chance to repent on the outside. Whilst we can sometimes understand God's ways, in some cases he does not answer all our questions. And he's not obliged to. Ask Job. So we're all, as I said last week, on borrowed time. Just one sin condemns us to an eternity outside of God's favor, outside of Christ. But we who have Christ can be forgiven. Because God has made a way not only for sin to be forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but full acceptance, which is mind-blowing, and a welcome into his kingdom, into his throne of grace, as sons in Christ. So all the privileges that Christ has, we have too, if we receive Christ and believe who he is, that he is the saviour of the world. And to shun all of that is a sin, the sin of unbelief. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira do. So let's go back to Sapphira. Peter says to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of God? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. So once more, Peter uses a question to explain the sin. They have lied to God. They've grieved the Holy Spirit. They've lied to the Holy Spirit. But he goes beyond that this time and declares that death is near, a final call to repentance. If you were told that you were about to die, 
Oh, you would put up your hands and say, I repent. Is this too severe, what Peter did? Is Peter out of his depth here? We must consider what God had to do to deal with our sin. You see how serious sin is. He sent his only son to the cross. Jesus had to endure a Roman cross and separation from God the Father. The wrath of God, all of God's anger against all the sins, past, present, future, were laid on Jesus so that you and I could be forgiven, so that our sins could be forgiven. Sin is no small deal. It's a big deal to God. It is a horror. It is a great evil. It is so opposite to his character, his nature, his holiness. Sin cannot survive God. And because we have committed sin, we are sinful outside of Christ. We die if we sin, unless we're in Christ. So lying to God, who sees all things, sinning in such a foolish way, like these guys did, can't end well. Ananias and Sapphira planned to lie and to deceive the apostles. They wanted recognition for generosity that they would never give. But all the while, they were being watched by God. God saw into their hearts even. And Peter attempts to allow space for both of them to repent. But ultimately, God breaks in and both die on the spot. And it says here, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, very similar to her husband. And when the young men came back in from bearing Ananias, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. It's a very serious chapter, this very, yeah, very full of danger, full of intrigue, full of mystery. Why? And there's some answers we're not going to get in this life. It's, it's full of mysteries, not enough detail to really explain it fully. So Peter didn't seem to do anything untoward. He asked her about her deceit. She confirmed it. She didn't repent. And then God takes her life. God judged her. Instantly, she's buried alongside her husband. They shared the deceit. They plotted the, 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 the sin. They opened their hearts to Satan. They believed his lies together. They share a grave together. And this is God's direct judgment. He gives no detailed explanation of why he did this. Luke doesn't seem to give anything else for us. Because this is essentially in the counsels of God. This is um, We just see the results of this event on the early church. It says, Great fear fell upon all the church, the whole church, and upon all those who heard these things. So not only the church, the outsiders heard it. And there was a healthy response to sin. It's not, it's, there wasn't questioning of God's right to punish sin. That, that's what we sometimes do. How dare God do that? We, they didn't excuse the sin or you know, find ways around it. But rather, what we should do like these, like the early church did, put our hands on our mouths and be silent before God. The whole church hear and they're in awe as the news circulates and permeates across the church about what's just happened. So Peter did not have to do anything. God's judgment was firm and final. And to be honest, as I've said before, a little bit mysterious. But it was God. There's no doubt, Satan couldn't have taken their, their lives. He doesn't have the power to do that. 
we must remember that as believers we have no private and public distinction in our lives nothing is hidden from god god sees all god is we're like open books to god if we try and hide our sin from him and try and deceive people it's all before god our lives our sin is everyone's business it's it's your responsibility my responsibility to live a pure life to follow jesus and not to delve into sin and get our hearts filled with lies from satan sin is serious business it destroys churches it splits churches it corrupts lives it compromises churches and leaders and it destroys marriages like this one and sin is a brat no one wants to own and such is the merchandise of the devil so how do you deal with those in your church who sin are you gentle like Peter, asking questions, longing for repentance and restoration? How do you deal with your own sin? Does your church handle public sin well? Or do they just excuse it and hide it? Do you know that Jesus died for your sin so that you and I can repent and receive forgiveness? Amen.